Hi, folks. Hi. Okay, just a quick little background um, on the various nefarious things God's had me into. I did start out my sort of working career as a school teacher. I taught all the easy stuff, maths, physics, applied maths, that stuff. <laughs> and then God called me to be on staff at a Presbyterian church. And then after that, I was my first sole charge Baptist pastor's job was actually over the hill in Wainui Amata. That's where I learnt that autumn's is the best season in Wellington out. I really loved it. You know those crisp, clear blue days you get, those lovely ones? There's only one trouble with autumn in Wellington. It starts in February. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't resist that one, sorry. <laughs> but then after that, oh, we were up to Caddy Caddy, pastor there, then we went out of being pastor and into business. I brought a small computer business, grew it up, split it into two. And then my wife reckons I got bored one afternoon, one weekend sort of thing. So I bought another business. So we were running three businesses once. That was a small earth moving business just to give us a bit of variety. And then we were doing fairly nicely. We sold off one part of the computer business. And I was sort of heading towards a nice, cushy retirement, nice and early, sort of working four days a week with a son-in-law doing the other day and had this lovely contract with a gold mine to look after all their computers. So, you know, it was really nice. And then God called me back to being a pastor, which is at the other end of the scale. Um, so that was up in Kerry Kerry, and I've been there 10 years and retired out of that at the end of January. We had a lot of stuff happening in our lives. We were I was half-time pastor. I started out at full-time but went half-time six years back. And we had that work. We also had a strong work connected with the church, but sort of an area all of its own, working with folk from Vanuatu because they come down to Kerikeri to work in the kiwi fruit. So we have anything up to 70, 80 sort of numbers of folk from Vanuatu in our town at a time. We also have Tongans, Samoans, you know, a whole range of them. At one stage we had, over Christmas, we had women from six different Pacific Islands sitting in our town. But Vanuatu is where God had led us and we've taken teams up there. Stephanie's been up 11 times, I've been up 10, um, taking teams from the church, etc. doing that. So I had small group stuff that I was doing right around the far north. I had Vanuatu and I had the pastor's job at Kerikeri Baptist and it was getting it a little bit much. And so we were praying to God about where we really wanted to go. And being sensible people, we gave up the pay job. <laughs> so now we're doing stuff with Vanuatu, but COVID's been sort of hammering that a little bit. It's hard to do stuff, as you'd understand. And when all their accommodation has signs up saying no visitors, we have to get them to escape so we can spend time with them, etc. Um, and have moved into working with folk coaching them, training them and doing it and how to make disciples who will then turn around and make disciples who will then turn around and make disciples. And that's what I've actually been working on for the last, in particular, the last six years. And just to give you a little idea of some of what I've seen, by a sort of circuitous route, God introduced me to a married lady called Amy. She was 20, I think, five, six, seven, somewhere around there. I never ask women their age too often. I mean, she tells me, but I forget. Um, and she was the entrance person into this whole large whanau. Now, her start with believing in God 
came out of her healing. Her third child had been born with a severe thyroid problem. That severe that the doctors in Whangarei said he will probably never meet his milestones, you know, walking, talking, those sorts of things. Um, if he does, it will be late and he'll probably have a short life. And they referred them down to Starship. And so they start heading off to Starship, but they didn't really want to drive all the way down to Starship. One, because they didn't know where it was. Two, because the car didn't have a rego or a warrant. And three, because none of them actually had a full licence. <laughs> so they stopped off at a cousin's in Wangarei, who happened to be a Christian. And she said, hey, can I pray for the kid? And Amy goes, oh, yeah, we know, Christians pray. Yeah, right, okay, go ahead, you know. They do all that. They end up down a starship. Kids get admitted. The specialists check them all out, come back out, sit Amy and Shane down, that's her husband, and say, well, we don't know what happened between Wangarei and here, but he's only got a minor problem. We'll just prescribe a small amount of medication. He'll grow out of it. And she goes... I'm a believer. <laughs> she didn't have a clue what she was believing in, but she was a believer. Now, a little bit after that was when God connected me up with her and I started doing Bible studies in their home. And it took off from there. Four weeks down, I've just finished explaining to them how Jesus reached out and took our sin to him on the cross. And if he's taken all the sin, what's left to block us from him? What's left? Nothing. And Amy goes, I get it. I get it. And she looks at Shane and says, do you get it? And he says, yeah, I get it. And one of the sort of partners-in-law, for want of a better phrase, said, yeah, I went to church a little bit and I never got that. And then Ed, who's Amy's dad, who lives in the same house, says, so what do we do? And I go, I think I'm in the middle of the book of Acts. You know, what must I do to be saved? So we talked about things. We talked about baptism. And they said, well, when do we do that? And I said, well, I heard the bath running. But they weren't up for that because I think someone was in it. <laughs> so that was Thursday night. Saturday, we're up at the MRI in the creek. I wait on in. I call Ed down. Come on. I baptized him. I said, you stand there. Then we called Shane in baptised him, the two of us, then I walked out and stood on the bank because I wanted them to know that it's every believer who should be doing the baptising, not just a special person, and there was no special person around anyway. <laughs> so in goes, I think it was Amy at that point, or Jay, one of the others, and they looked at me and said, what were those words again, Brian? <laughs> so I told them some words to use, and they baptised him, and then baptised the other one, and on we went. Now... I spent a lot of time, most Thursday nights, I tootle off down to Mariwa where they live, which is about 25 minutes away, just discipling them, teaching them, teaching them how to reach out. And they just started talking to their whanau. Most of them worked all together in one great big pruning gang. So we had all sorts of fun stuff happen there. 18 months later, I'm talking to Amy and she says, you know, Brian, since I decided to follow Jesus... I've seen 15 of my whanau come to follow Jesus and I've had the joy of baptising four of them. 15 in 18 months. Pretty good, eh? Yeah. When I'm looking for disciples who make disciples, it's getting there. It's getting there. And 
it continues to this day. The latest one lives in Tauranga. I have no idea what number we're up to now. I can't keep track and I try not to in one way because if I try and control all this, I find the Holy Spirit doesn't like it. He's just out of control. Believe you me, when you get stuff where the Holy Spirit takes off, you're going, how do I keep up with all this? And then you go, I can't keep up with all this. And I get this phone call. Oh, Brian, just to let you know, I'm off to baptize Christine. I'm thinking, Christine, Christine, I think I've met her. Yeah, okay, right, yep. Well, Stephanie's looking on YouTube. No, not YouTube, Facebook. Hey, Brian, have you seen this one? And there's a picture of Maria baptizing two people. And, oh, yeah, okay, these things are happening all around the place. God's doing stuff. And one of the latest ones is a lady called Nikki. Actually, she's a sister of Amy. She's a bit slow to get in. She was resistant. She actually kicked Amy out of the house at one stage, her house. If you're going to pray, go outside and do it there. It's sort of like smoking, you know, go and smoke outside. (laughs) But anyway, she got saved through a tragedy. Her partner was killed in a diving accident. And the love that Shane and Amy showed her just hit her. So... I'm on a Zoom call with Amy and Nikki and some of the whanau on a Sunday afternoon. And Nikki says at the start, I don't know why we take so long to follow Jesus. It's the best thing I've ever done. And at the end she says, oh, I almost forgot to tell you. And she talks about her six-and-a-half-year-old girl who, when she was, you know, they start, when they go to school they have these um, hearing and eyesight tests. I think they, she had one earlier too, but there it was particularly noted. Instead of 20-20 in both eyes, she was 6-9 in one and 6-11 in the other. So pretty bad. And they'd done other tests and bits going up. And now she was heading off to a specialist appointment where it looked like they were going to prescribe the glasses and they'd be the great big thick ones. And she'd already had one of her kids go through that and get the whole teasing thing at school and that, you know, the hassles and heartaches of all that, wearing glasses at that age. And she said to God, God, I don't want my kid to go through this. Can you do something? So they go along to the specialist and he does some tests and then he does some more tests. And then he does some more tests, and then he turns and looks at her and says, her vision is twenty-twenty in both eyes. That's the God we serve. True? That's the God we serve. The one who reaches out and just says, yeah, done. Now, that was the intro. I think James said I have something like two and a half hours. He, he, I did tell him to let me know when I've spoken enough and then he proceeded to tell me how he asked his wife to tell him that one time and he totally ignored her. So, <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> not any longer. <laughs> I think it was not ignored. It was actually, he didn't get what she was trying to tell him. Uh, I have that trouble. <laughs> So, I have a magic machine here, so the scattering. What on earth is that about? Well, here it is. We get Jesus talking to people, his disciples, and he says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, 
Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they're not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was the promise of Jesus. He promised that we would receive power and he promised that we would be his witnesses. That's his aim. So let's look at it. What did they want? They wanted their kingdom restored. They wanted Israel set free. It was oppressed by the Romans at that stage. They wanted the Romans kicked out. When will you restore the kingdom, Jesus? And he says, no, I'm sorry. Don't bother writing the book about the second coming. Don't worry writing the book about what's going to happen when, etc. It's not for you to know the times nor seasons. Just, I've got a job for you. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Receive power. Go and be my witnesses. That's what I've got for you. Don't worry about getting rid of the Romans. The Roman Empire crumbled, but Jesus' kingdom kept going, didn't it? Note, when we were looking at some scriptures early yesterday morning, one of them was the extent of God's plan and mission in the world. And it's everyone, everywhere, all the time. That's who God wants to reach out to. Everyone, everywhere, all the time. Now, next scriptures about a bit of a rough time the church went through. That had a good time at the start. If you read the book of Acts and you get to the end of chapter 2, you'll find out that it says the people were held in high regard or in favour or in respect yeah, the Christians were held in favour by all the people. But then as you read on, you find out that Peter and John heal this guy. You know, the one silver and gold have I none. And the guy gets up, bounces around, you know, gets healed. And Peter preaches this sermon, which amongst other things said that the leaders had crucified the Messiah. And they took umbrage at that and hauled them in and gave them a hard time and told them, don't you ever say this again. And they said, well, actually... <laughs> Take your choice. We want to obey God, not you, so hard luck. You know, they weren't exactly totally respectful. They basically told him no. And so they go off and preach some more and more things happen and the opposition cranks up and then all the apostles got collected in and told not to do this and they got whipped and stuff and that was a bit getting interesting. And then they appointed some deacons. Do we have any deacons in your church? Do you use that label? Anybody that looks after the practical stuff around the place? Anybody run the food bank? Any of those things? They did. They set up a whole bunch of people to do that sort of stuff. And one of them, just as a sideline, was preaching, witnessing, just like we're all meant to be doing, and some got upset with him and started to set him up and they had a rigged trial and then they stoned him to death. So if any of you are into practical ministries around the church, you know, yeah, just think about it. And then this happened. Saul was one of the witnesses. 
to the killing of Stephen and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. He thought it was a good idea. One of these darn Christians, get rid of him, these Jesus followers. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Now, have a think about this. Jesus told them they were to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. This bit happens a few years later down the track. Where are they? They're in Jerusalem. Where are the apostles? In Jerusalem. Where do the apostles stay? In Jerusalem. But all the others went. Judea and Samaria. Finally, they're getting out and getting moving. But it took persecution to get them going. But notice that last line up there. Wherever they went, wherever they went, they preached the good news about Jesus. So the devil stirs up the persecution, thinks, I'll fix it, I'll spread these guys out, I'll scatter them, I'll give them a hard time. And what happens? The kingdom of God expands. Have a think what those folk would have been feeling like when the persecution broke out. What would they have been thinking? What would they have been feeling? All of a sudden, being a Christian is deadly. You're in trouble. You're going to get grabbed and thrown into jail at the best. So what are they thinking? Oh, my family's lived in Jerusalem for generations. But it's not safe here anymore. It's not safe for me and my family. I'm out of here. Don't even have time to sell my business. Grab my stuff and I'm off. They'd be thinking, whoa. Oh, no, I think I can just hide low. They don't know that I really went and followed Jesus. Maybe I'll, I'll just keep it quiet. I'll hang out and see if I survive. There'd be all sorts of different reactions. But for a lot of them, that was the end of their time in Jerusalem. They were off. So they scattered spread out all over the place and they told the good news of Jesus interesting eh now here's one of them you know Stephen who got stoned this is one of his fellow deacons Philip for example went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who'd been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now you imagine that. How would you like it? Persecution strikes. You, Philip, you take off. 
You head off, you walk into the city and you start talking about Jesus and you see this lame person and you pray for them and they get up and you see this paralyzed person who hasn't moved for years and you pray for them and they start dancing around the place and there are signs, wonders and miracles happening and you're getting to tell people that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is the one who can transform their lives and you are preaching it and people are listening and they're getting saved and there's just so much joy in the place. You know, you can't walk down the street without hearing someone going, Hallelujah! Because of what Philip brought. He brought the presence of God into the place. He brought the kingdom of God into the place. He brought the power of the Holy Spirit into the place. He preached the good news and there was great joy in the city. Be fun to be Philip, wouldn't it? So who was he? He was one of the deacons. You may have given up the cleaning, but as you said, your business and God's got lots of other things for you. Philip, he had to give up running the food bank because that was his job in Jerusalem. If you don't believe me, look it up. You'll find it. Chapter 6. That was his job. He gave up running the food bank or helping out with the food bank and ended up as the guy who preached and prayed, saw people get healed. He was labelled, though, also as being a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, I've been involved with lots of food banks and I know those two characteristics are absolutely needed to run a food bank. But question... Full of Holy Spirit and wisdom. What a qualification, eh? What a thing to have said about him. Where'd he go? Well, we don't exactly know. Some city in Samaria. What'd he do? Proclaimed Jesus, performed the miracles. What was the response? They listened intently, eager to hear. Listened intently. Same as Amy, her kid got healed. She went, I'm a believer. And then she went off to find out what she was believing in. And there's much joy. Philip was a joy bringer. I like that for a label. Philip the joy bringer. Got a ring to it, hadn't it? Now let's have a look at the next bit. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. They listened closely to him because for a long time it astounded them with his magic. Now please note we're not talking here the magic as in, you know, stage show, Vegas, you know, trickery dickery stuff. We are actually talking spiritual power. Supernatural power, just the wrong supernatural power, stuff from Satan. But now the people believe Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went and was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. Can't you just see him walking around following Philip going, Oh, I could never do that. Whoa, look at that one. I wonder how the heck he does that. Oh, 
you know, getting real impressed by this. I mean, it was a power encounter. You had this guy who'd been keeping people thinking big things about him and keeping them in his sway because of the power of the enemy and then the power of Jesus walks in. In the person of Philip, he brought the Holy Spirit and power encounter happened. That's the clash. How many of you have ever been in that sort of power encounter? Let's start easy. How many of you have prayed for someone to get healed? Okay. How many of you have prayed for someone to get healed and seen it happen? How many of you have prayed for someone to get delivered? Right. Power encounters. Never forget the first time I prayed for someone to get delivered. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Still happened. Notice message. Good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Result, many believed and were baptized. I mean, this is fun. This is real neat stuff. Now, what about us? Let's hop out of the book of Acts because, you see, the book of Acts is both our history and our handbook. The book of Acts tells us what happened in our history as followers of Jesus. This is what happened way back. But it's also telling us what we should expect today. Both our history and our handbook. So we should be looking at that and going, wow, look at all these things that happened back then. And going, wow, look at all the stuff that we're meant to be doing today. That we're meant to be seeing today. The Holy Spirit has not given in. He's not packed up. He's not signed out. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means now. Same as then. Same stuff ought to be happening. So it tells us what we should expect. It tells us what we should do. So what happens, or what would you feel like if all of a sudden the government went, Christianity is outlawed. We've had enough of these people telling us this stuff. You're outlawed. You speak about Jesus, well, we'll reopen a couple of jails and we'll fill them up with you. And if you keep it up, you're in real trouble, deadly trouble. How would you feel right now if that was the case here in Wellington? Oh, I've been in meetings overseas where I get there, you know, you're going off to preach in this place, you walk in and say, oh, by the way, it's secret worship, which translates to it's totally illegal and if the government arrives while you're here, you're in strife. Oh, gee, thanks. Okay, let's carry on. Secret worship, you should have heard how loud they sung. No, nothing secret about it. And it was an apartment, you know, up down, sideways, everybody's hearing it. This is secret worship. I'm thinking, yeah, some secret. Yeah, right. Whatever. So we carry on. Just cause, you know, It's one of those places when you get off at the airport, you know, walk into the terminal and the guys are standing there with their AK-47s looking friendly. Yeah. So how would you feel if that sort of thing, you know, all of a sudden guys could come walking in here and grab the lot of us and cart us off? Lock you up. 
Hmm. In real terms, what would you do? Would you hide and hope? Oh, I think I'll just stay home from work and just, just, I'll just keep a low profile. I pretend I'm in lockdown again and hope that they don't come and get me. Years and years ago, many years ago, I read this bit. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convince, to convict you? You imagine it. You've been caught, you've been thrown in jail, and you say, no, no, not me, not me. And so they say, oh, yeah, you, we're going to have a trial, and they get in your workmates. And your workmates go, oh, I don't know. He might be a Christian, but he never talked to me about it. Would the evidence of your workmates convict you or get you off? No, I don't think he's a Christian. He didn't act like one. No, Christians are meant to come and tell us all about Jesus, aren't they? Well, he never did that. So he can't be a Christian. No, let him go. What about your relatives? Oh, I used to come to Christmas things and he'd pray, you know, over the meal. But, you know, lots of people do that. Not sure how much he believed it or not. Hmm. Or would it be him, Christian? <laughs> Down right he was. Man, did he bend my ear about God and that. But mind you, you know, he prayed for my daughter when she was sick one day and she got healed. So, hey, yeah, yeah, I think he's a Christian. Yeah, I know about that one. Yeah, yeah, him, definitely. How would you go if you were put on trial? Interesting thought, eh? What would your neighbours say? What would the people on the bus or the train that you travel on every workday say? Work, family, friends, hobbies, sports, all those places. Or what instead of hiding, would you scatter and go somewhere safer? You know, oh, I know, I know. We'll go up to Northland. I tell you, it's yeah, yeah. You can get pretty safe from the police up there. I've got a few folk who tell me all about that. <laughs> you know, this is a one-way road into our town, and it takes the cops twenty minutes from the time they get past a friend of ours at that end. So we always get warning. I got a few friends in that sort of category, folk who tell me about that sort of thing. If you scattered. Would you tell the good news wherever you went? Or would you be going, I think I'll just keep quiet. I'll just not tell anybody about Jesus because, well, I could get into trouble again and I'll have to run again. Or would you be up there like Philip, proclaiming the good news of Jesus wherever you went? What would you do? Would you know how to do that? Would you know what to say? You know, having been a pastor for years, I can say this. Pastors are really good at telling people, you have to get out and talk to people about Jesus. And they're really bad at telling you how and equipping you. That's what yesterday was all about. Telling you how 
And those of you who weren't here, well, actually, those who were, wave your hands. Keep them up. Now, those of you who weren't, look closely. If you weren't there, grab them and ask them what they learnt. Find out from them. Because you need to know how to do this. Could you, in three minutes, tell someone your story of how Jesus came into your life and transformed it without boring them to tears by starting here, going there, around here, over there, back there, back to this, and oh, I forgot to tell you this. Could you do that? Could you share in three, four minutes a simple way of explaining the good news of Jesus so people look at it? I've got a little diagram I doodle on paper and talk to people as I do it and explain things. And I'd say in about 90% of the time when I do it, just on a piece of paper with one person, that one of the things they do is they hold their hand out and go, can I have this? I never understood that. So, how would people describe you? You know, they describe Philip full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, how would they describe you? Are you faithful in your work in the kingdom of God? Are you full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom? Are you a joy bringer? When you walk into situations, do you bring joy? Because you're telling people about Jesus. You're helping them get free from the stuff in their life. You're helping them come to him who can heal their hurts both physical and emotional. Would you like that label on you? Joy bringer. Sick people get healed when you're around. Paralyzed people get up when you're around. Those who are possessed by evil spirits get set free when you're around. And you tell people how they can come to Jesus and have their sins forgiven and that they can have a life that's worth living. They can have a new life that's totally different from the one they had. They aren't stuck with what they've got. Jesus has a better deal. Are you a joy bringer? What would you do? Proclaim widely? Perform signs, wonders and miracles just like Philip? I'll give you a clue so that you can know what you would do if persecution struck. It's pretty accurate, I think. What you do now would be a guide to what you would do then. If you're out now telling people about Jesus, you'd keep doing it. And if you don't now, you probably wouldn't then. Sounds logical? Because we don't change that quick. And if we're not telling now, when there is no persecution, we're not going to do it if we ended up in that sort of situation, if you got scattered. What about power encounters? Do you recognize when you come up against the works of the enemy? Do you see it for what it is? Because spiritual warfare is a reality. If you don't recognize them, then you're probably a, most probably, through, oh, yes, still, there's a mistake there. You're most probably a victim rather than a victor, that last word should be. 
I must remember to change that. So, some folk don't recognize what is happening when the enemy attacks them. He uses people and they see the people attacking them, not realizing it's, it's the devil behind them. So they attack back to the person rather than attack back to the devil. Some people, when they see someone or have an encounter with someone, they don't recognize that that person's being controlled by an evil spirit. When I was over in Wainui, one of the guys there worked for Tihaura, which was a Youth for Christ work with youth at risk. And he talked about how one time one of the guys in this house that they run sort of erupted. You know, and he smashed stuff in the kitchen and he grabbed a guitar and he smashed it on a passageway and he was coming down the hallway at this guy about to smash him. Now you've got your choice in those situations. You know, you can turn and run or you can try and fight harder than he can or you do what he did and he said, in the name of Jesus, stop! And the guy stopped. Bang. Just like that. Full force, full rage, out to destroy everything in him. And he stopped him like that in the name of Jesus. Why? Because it wasn't the guy that was motivating it. It was the spirit that was controlling him. You need to recognize power encounters when you have them. And do you demonstrate the power of the kingdom in your life and when you're walking around and talking and doing things? Clear, miraculous answers to prayer are meant to be our norm. That's what we're meant to be living in day by day by day. One of the reasons we don't see them, we're too chicken to ask for them. Have you ever seen someone with a really bad problem and people pray, Lord, we pray you'd bless them? Well, we do want them blessed, don't we? But let's get a bit more specific. Lord, and you pray direct for the problem. You pray directly so that there would be a solution to the problem. If he needs healing, pray for the healing. One time when I was in Vanuatu, I came out of this place where I'd been working teaching Sunday school teachers and this guy asked me to pray for him. Pastor, pastor, will you pray for me? He had a sore back, couldn't bend it. And so I said, yeah, sure. Stuck my hand on him, prayed a one-sentence prayer, looked at him and said, try it. He gave me this bit of a look and I said, yeah, try it. And so he bent down and stuck his head between his knees. I thought, wow, I can't do that. <laughs> I looked at him and said, so God healed you? And he went, yeah. I said, God's good, isn't he? He said, yeah. And I walked off. I had brushes covered in glue that I wanted to wash out. I had to find a tap. There was only one in the village. I had to go looking. Wash it out, come walking back. And he's back on the log where he's waiting for me. And three of his mates are there. He'd gone and collected them. First one, frozen shoulder. Couldn't move his arm above this. So I prayed again. And I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking no great, oh, God, come and move. I just went, Lord, touch this shoulder. I said, try it. And he looks at me, you know, he's got the same thing. So he really? After one of those prayers? You know, is anything going to happen, you know? And the next minute he's waving it around like this. I go, right. Go to the next guy. There's an interesting one. His leg had sort of cramped the, the bottom muscle and he couldn't flatten his foot. So he'd spent a week walking around like this. More than a week, I think. And so I prayed for him. I didn't have to ask him to try it because the foot just went <laughs> flat. The next guy was another back. Guess what? Bonk. Straight on, straight up. God did it. 
And I looked at him and I said, God's good, isn't he? And they went, yeah. And I walked off, thinking, I think God's trying to tell me something. I don't think I've ever had a four in a row like that. Just bang, 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 bang. Yeah, whoa. So whenever I preached on that trip while I was up there, I told them that story and said, okay, anyone wants prayer? Coming up, one of the places, the pastor in the end shut the service down because I think that just the whole church was going to line up and get prayed for. And I don't know whether all of the people I prayed for got healed. Don't know. Because often you can't follow them all up. But I do know that every time the next day God made sure I found out that someone had. We ran into them. We had them talk to us. We had them call us over and show us things. You know, the whole lot. God kept doing it. And that's what we should be expecting. Now, prior to that, on an earlier trip, I preached about the silver and gold have I none guy. You know, the fellow that couldn't walk and Peter prayed for him and he bounced up and off he went dancing. And the next day we're sitting at the pastor's house and across this green expanse comes this guy and he's got... You know, um, what they call it, a club foot. It's all bent in and he's got this really awkward walk. And I'm sitting thinking, oh, they're bringing him to me so that I can pray for him because I preached on it, you know, the night before. And this guy makes his way over and Stephanie and I didn't compare notes on the way, but after we were both thinking, oh, this is going to be an interesting one. What are you going to do here, God, etc.? And they get over and I, so I stand up and walk over to them and the guy reaches in his pocket and he pulls out some solder and a soldering iron so I could fix their stereo. <laughs> God challenged me with that one, though. It's... If they'd asked me, would I? And why didn't I anyway? It was sort of, um, yeah, speaking to us and hoping that we might start to let our faith level build up. Because often we don't see them because we don't ask for them. You know, why didn't I? Is it because God can't heal clubfoots? No. Why was it? Probably because I was chicken. How often are we chicken when we step back rather than step forward? Do you see many people respond when you preach? Are you believing for many to come into the kingdom of God? Could you believe that between now and Christmas, God could be responsible for you leading someone into the kingdom of God? Could you pray for that? Could you expect that? Could you believe that this room won't be big enough? Because it's more than half full, so if you each bring one, it's going to be full up. Can you believe for that? That's a serious question. You know, forget pastors who preach rhetorical questions. I'm actually asking, are you prepared to believe for that and then put feet to your belief a friend of mine once said this if you don't obey Acts 1.8 which says you shall receive power and be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth you'll end up with Acts 8.1 where persecution started and they got scattered and they had to go to the uttermost parts of the earth or at least Judea and Samaria it's interesting 
If we won't go to the world, you know that God brings the world to us. I don't know the figure for Wellington, but I do know that in a previous census, Auckland had 166 different languages spoken in it. One church up there, Greenland Christian Fellowship, ran a, a multicultural sort of Sunday, and any culture represented in their church put up a stall and made food and had decorations and everything that fitted their particular culture. And I think it was 31 different stalls they had. God should not have to send the people to us. We should be going to them. But we have not been obedient. We have not gone, and so he is. And are we going to make the most of it? Are we going to say, well, God's brought them here. Let's tell them the good news of Jesus. So when they go back home, they can spread it everywhere. Next quote. If the church won't go to the world, then the Lord will bring the world to the church. What are you going to do? Today, tomorrow, the next day. Will you tell the good news to someone this week? Let's put the rubber on the road. Let's do it. And like I say to those of you who weren't around yesterday, if you want to know how to share the good news, there's folk here who can tell you how to do it nice and easy. Who are you going to pray for this week? Who's a non-believer in your life that you will pray that for? Pray that their eyes will be open. Pray that their ears will be open. Pray that their heart will be open. Pray that their mind will be open. And pray that your mouth will be open so that you will talk to them. Mark sixteen fifteen that bit in red is. He told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Enough said? Let's pray. Lord, you told us to go. You told us to go and preach the good news to everyone. And we have to confess that sometimes we haven't preached the good news to anyone, let alone everyone. So, Father, I pray, like your early church prayed, that you would give us a spirit of boldness and that as we go out and proclaim your word, you would stretch out your hands and you would do signs, wonders and miracles to prove to people that the kingdom of God has arrived in their midst. Lord, I pray for all of us here in this room that we would do the things that would bring joy to the hearts of the lost. Lord, that we would be people who would tell the good news that would bring joy to the hearts of the lost. That we would be the people who would pray for deliverance and see joy come into their lives. Would pray for healing and see joy come into their lives. Lord, we pray for a boldness of the Spirit to come into us and that we would take the opportunities that you give us every day to share your word. Father, we want to be yours your servants. We want to love you and we want to please you. Help us to do that. Help us to talk to others about you. Help us to introduce you to them. Amen.